HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Do you need a CPA that you can trust with all your taxes and financial needs? Look no further than Joanne Flash Fleming at Fleming & Associates CPA. For more info, go to flashfleming.com or email Joanne directly at j-o-a-n-n-f-l-e-m-i-n-g at flashfleming.com. I'm Tim Gunn, author, educator, and Project Runway mentor, and you're listening to Heritage Radio. Welcome to Magnifico Radio, the weekly podcast featuring conversations in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. I'm your host, Kate Black, and this is episode 19. If you're listening live on the Heritage Radio Network, that means it's Monday and 1 o'clock here in Brooklyn. So welcome. Or if you just found us through iTunes or Stitcher, welcome to you too. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Each week, I sit down with designers, makers, and leaders in sustainability to discuss their paths and motivation. This podcast is an extension of my blog, Magnifico.com, and that's Magnifico.com, and my book, also called Magnifico, Your Head-to-Toe Guide to Ethical Fashion and Non-Toxic Beauty. Today's guest is Peggy Sue Devens-Smiltniks, a game-changer at the forefront of where farmer and fashion meet. The first fashion brand that uses the fiber shed as its cornerstone, her mission is to produce collections that honor the farmer, the maker, and the creator. For, as she says, without their time-honored skills, knowledge, and hard work, there would be no fiber, no fash- no fabric, and no fashion. Welcome, Peggy Sue. Hi, Kate. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you? I'm well, and you? Doing well. Thank you so much. Good. Listen, I know that right now you're a Toronto-based designer, but you're originally from Venice, California. How did you go from the sandy beaches to the great white north? That's a very fair question. Uh, well, growing up with uh, sunshine and 70-degree weather, I eventually went to school on the East Coast um, in Rhode Island, Rhode Island School of Design, and I fell in love with the seasons. I loved seeing how people got so excited with the coming of new types of weather and the apparel that was rolled out seasonally to accommodate it. And 
in my um, when I graduated, I initially went into the New York markets, and then after that, um, my partner and I we were really going back and forth um, about where we wanted to set up this mission centric company. And uh, my husband is Canadian, I am American, and in figuring out sort of you know how and where um, we spent a lot of time in in a couple of places, and the Toronto area just really resonated with us. That's fantastic. You know, that's my hometown. And so does probably everybody who's listening. So I'm a little partial. I think it's fantastic as well. Um, And you've had great success. So when did you arrive in Toronto? So I arrived in Toronto in about 2014. And we incorporated the company at uh, 2015. And then last year, you won a prestigious award in 2016. Yes, it was a very, a very exciting year, 2016, for us. Uh, we were a part of a six-month competition uh, put on by the Toronto Fashion Incubator, uh, sponsored by fashion philanthropist Suzanne Rogers, and it was it was a grueling experience. Yes, however, it really was remarkable. Uh, the the panel of judges, very esteemed. Um, David Dixon, uh, Suzanne Timmons, Karen Williamson, and Suzanne Rogers herself really helped to stretch what uh, what I pushed the boundaries of what I thought fiber could do in a fashion sense. They helped me to really break out of some of my molds and 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 you know pre-formulated thoughts and just really pushed the fiber to do something even better. And it was a very exciting outcome um, that was able to see the the validation of a local Ontario-based fiber shed on a high-fashion Toronto runway. That's so amazing. And this isn't the first time we've talked about Fibershed on this show. In fact, I've had mm-hmm. um, the girls from Fibershed come on before. But I think it I think it could do with a little re-explaining, especially because it's such a, what I think of as an unfashiony word. So can you tell yeah. me what Fibershed means to you? Absolutely. Uh, so... The way that we source our collection is uh, the way that, you know, if someone were to say, oh, well, this is a fair trade item. Well, we say, okay, well, this is a fiber shed fiber or system. So essentially, where we source our fiber um, is from the fiber sheds throughout North America, meaning um, like a watershed, the local fiber shed here, where I'm based, is called Upper Canada Fiber Shed, and that's the 250-mile um, radius from Toronto as its central point, uh, which is not as large as you'd think because of Canada's population um, density or lack thereof. Um, so it's, it's wider than any of the U.S. fiber sheds typically. Uh, but the idea is that you can take a region, a specific region, and really uh, get a terroir from all of its agricultural landscape, and you use that to inform your fashion or what it is that you're creating. So when we tell a fiber shed story, it really is about telling a community story. So uh, like you were saying, the the Toronto Fashion Incubator New Labels collection was all about the local Upper Canada fiber shed story. And what's exciting about this next collection for us is that we're also going to be telling a bit of the original uh, California fiber shed story um, based in Marin County. Um, 
because I was asked, along with Upper Canada Fiber Shed, to give the keynote at their um, their wool symposium this past year. And while I was down there, it just because of the 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 times, what was going on in the world, it seemed really important to show that fashion can bridge these gaps. We can talk about different communities by really bringing what's incredibly unique and special, both fiber farm as well as artisans and people and makers, to the forefront, to the runway. And so Fiber Shed kind of works as a localization, right? Like if we were to compare it to a food movement, it would be the local the local movement. Absolutely. And so we are slow food, slow fashion. That's fun. And so let's talk about what that means to these communities because we're so decentralized and fashion has really kind mm. of been ripped apart, especially over like the last 30 or 40 years. So what are you finding? Like, so when you, when you started with the Upper Canada Fiber Shed, what, what kind of state was it in and, and how difficult was it to excuse the pun, but weave it back together? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, in starting with the Upper Canada Fiber Shed, the materials that were most present were wools and alpaca, quite a bit of alpaca. The wool was getting there. Um, there were a lot of, um, you know, there were a couple of bumps as far as really improving farming practices. Um, it is significantly colder in Canada, so sometimes shearing your sheep twice a year isn't possible, whereas in a lot of other regions, it's absolutely feasible. So it's what it means is you go to your farmer's market and you buy what's in season. You talk to your farmer. They tell you, you know, we had awful weather. It affected my crop as such, or you got to try these. It was really special this year. Everything worked. It's the same idea. When you when you look at our collection, when you shop our collection, it's so much more than just going to a store and buying a pair of pants. Instead, you really are buying uh, something that is very reflective of the season because we we work with our fiber as opposed to against it. Uh, we, we embrace uh, its color, what it does as a fiber naturally. And so what's, what's so neat is you're able to really connect back to what your region or the region that we're um, sourcing from can can create. And you're learning about these farmers' lives, the mills that are there, as well as you know, what systems are present and working and, and which aren't. Um, so, you know, the easiest thing to point out about the Upper Canada Fiber Shed is we don't have access to cotton fibers, period. <laughs> um, and that's just a reality. So there are some limitations that we design into. Our cottons come from uh, California Sally Fox as well as Texas, the Texas Organic Cotton Co-op. Um, all traceable, all still within the same ethos of we can trace the fiber right back to a farm. Um, but it's, you know, we, there always are going to be, um, strengths and, and weaknesses and areas of improvement always. And are these, are these commercial farms that have, have typically produced fiber for fashion or are, are you kind of, are you introducing an opportunity for farms that are maybe food driven or, um, have some other other kind of purpose and then adding this element into into what that they what they can cultivate absolutely i'm so glad that you asked this question um a lot of the fiber farmers that i work with they're not large enough to be considered industrial sized fiber farmers um that's 
not necessarily, uh, it's just not the norm in North America uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, a lot of the farms that I work with are, they're not that big in the industrial sense, but they're also not so small that going to their local farmer's market will suffice. They're in that in-between phase where they really need a, a company to come to them and help them with that financial pull-through to really take their business and their, their product to the, to the next level. Um, so it really is very exciting to get to work with a lot of these medium-sized fiber farmers who are bringing other types of breeds to the forefront. I mean, yes, we know about merino wool, but do we know about, um, you know, BFL, and do we know about Romney or Coriadale? And so it's, it's really very exciting to get to work with these really passionate and rather radical in the sense of, you know, these farmers aren't growing, um, you know, generic types of crops. They're, they're, being risky. They're trying off-breeds. They're practicing, you know, uh, biodiversity and sustainable crop rotation to help sink carbon back into soils. So it is it is a bit niche. We are expanding markets for a lot of these farmers, and it's, it's also a really exciting way to make sure that the meat that goes to market, um, that we also make sure that the hides are processed and used so that they don't go to waste, because that process in of itself is so expensive that if a farmer can't immediately make a sale off of that, there's there's no feasibility for them to get those hides tanned. So it's it really is very exciting to see this company being able to help farmers come to the next step. And what about the support? And I'm talking like the financial support because we just um, mm. we had an eco sessions here similar to the one that um, you and I did in Toronto um, about make it here, and we were talking about local production. And there's a lot of support in the cities for for kind of reshoring production and and supporting manufacturing. But what kind of support is? And I'm talking across North America. What kind of support are the fiber sheds um, having access to? Is there any? Mm. Um, it is it is limited. However, it's the the financial support. Um, like I said, it really the the biggest uh, add or give of the fiber shed community is that you really are a part of both a locally centralized community that is globally connected. It is remarkable how many fiber sheds I have heard from. I mean. I talked to a, a gal from um, Australia uh, for, for her fiber shed, you know, rather frequently. Um, and so you're able to connect into a community where you have access to resources, um, people, their knowledge. Uh, you tend to come into a very passionate group of people. Um, and as far as, you know, put in for projects, ideas, and initiatives, uh, there's quite a bit of support depending on your region. Some regions which are more um, research-based, like uh, the Marin County, California Fiber Shed, um, they have, uh, they've really worked out their funding systems. And the other fiber sheds are in you know, various stages as well. Um, but the way that Canada is set up, it's just our funding systems, they're a little different and a bit challenging. Um, I know for us, it's been really important to get the collection um, and the garments into big competitions and um, awarded large grants because it it's 
it's sort of certifying the validity of these projects. And that's showing that, yes, there is a need here, there is a desire, and there is uh, a community standing behind it. So, And then it trickles it back into the... A, a mishmash. Yeah. yeah, and then it trickles back into the community. So the more that consumers understand Absolutely. what your product is, um, because it's so localized, because it's so um, crafted and, and, and handcrafted, it's not at the same price point as, as other products. So I think it's, um, for me, it's really important that we start having this conversation and, and really kind of get people to understand what a fiber shed is. I feel like you and Rebecca Burgess, who's um, one of the founders of this ideology or this kind of movement, you're kind of like Vandana Shiva and the seed savers. Like, I feel like you're really kind of forcing people who love fashion and love fibers to, to understand how, how delicate these ecosystems are and, and what we as consumers can do to support them. Absolutely. I mean, Rebecca Burgess is phenomenal, and the movement that she has started is I'm very excited that I get to um, have a business that keys into it because it's, it's it really is exciting to see people asking these questions, taking their their food decisions to the next level. And just as you were saying, um, there is a, a higher cost um, on the price tag that comes with these types of garments. And there is a lot of re-educating with regards to, well, this supports things like biodiversity and carbon sinks and better farming practices as well as uh, fair labor wages. Um, and, and because of all of that, you then see that this garment isn't really just about the wearer anymore. You're really putting on people's lives and lands and livelihoods. And I find that so, so incredibly enabling. Um, and at the same time, we have the conversation often of, well, it's not about the price of the garment. It's about the price per wear. Because so often we think of a single purchase for a garment. But when you do the math and you think, well, how many pairs of poly-heavy blend jeans do I go through in a year versus if I buy a very well-sewn, cotton-rich blend pair of jeans, those will probably last you, you know, about five times as long as that poly-heavy blend of jeans, just because of the nature of the fiber, the care that's being put into the seams, of course, dependent on the brand. But we're asking people to be more conscious about their consumption, and the response is really phenomenal. Okay, I'm, I'm not sure I agree that cost per wear is the best way to think about this, but let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay. Are you filing your own taxes and driving yourself crazy? Do you think a professional can do a better job of finding legal deductions? Do you own a business and need help with the accounting and taxes? Are you a not-for-profit business that needs financial guidance? Are you just plain tired of your boring accountant and looking for some fresh eyes? Try Fleming & Associates CPA. At Fleming & Associates, Joanne Flash Fleming can quantify anything in a flash. She'll do your taxes, assess your worth, and is even a forensic accountant an investigator of white-collar crime. 
Joanne Fleming once said, It was terribly hard for me to read Moby Dick, but put a financial statement or a tax return in front of me, it's like a novel. Imagine that. Has the political and financial news got you feeling down? Joanne Fleming was the accountant for the Occupy Wall Street movement back in 2010. Who better to trust with your financial secrets? For more info, go to flashfleming.com or email Joanne directly, J-O-A-N-N-F-L-E-M-I-N-G at flashfleming.com. back. You're listening to Magnifico Radio, and I'm your host, Kate Black. And today I'm talking to Peggy Sue Devens-Smiltnix, who is a designer of Peggy Sue Collections based out of Canada. So just before the break, Peggy Sue, we were talking about this price model, and I had read somewhere that you kind of got motivated um, about the fiber shed and kind of delving into this or making this one of your your value or your mission um, statements around the farmer's market and really kind of understanding what happens when you spend an extra dollar for a dozen eggs and what that does for the community and for your own health. And and so when when we think about the kind of product that you're making and the way that this movement is going, I think it goes a bit deeper than a cost per wear. I think it's actually about an investment in in something deeper, like an investment in your community, an investment in the environment, an investment in really kind of some, an investment in a treasure almost. Totally. I, I don't disagree with you at all. Um, the, the price per wear model comes into play for me when I'm speaking with people who aren't members of the food movement. It's a very interesting way to just turn the tables on, on how we consume. Um, but I completely agree. That's the way that I first became passionate about getting involved with you know, the levels of our consumption and and how we spend our money and invest can really preserve our history as well as our environment and and skills with artisans. Um and you're you're right, it's it really does come down to oftentimes uh we do vote with our purchasing. We say what we're what we are most passionate about by what we choose to have in our lives. And so oftentimes, I know for a fact a lot of the farmers, uh, mills and makers that I work with, for them to see individuals wearing their work um, in all forms, whether it's fiber of the animals that they have so lovingly cared for or these machines that they have really labored through to keep going in North America or the artisan who is, you know, just, it's an incredible way to connect human to human and say to, um, <laughs> to really say that I, I care about your life and I want to share it and learn about it. And it's, it's a very intimate connection. It's true, and it and I think it harks back to really probably how fashion started, right? Like this kind mm-hmm. of meticulous um, artisanal use of local um, materials. So silk weavers in in yeah. Cambodia or China creating something for royalty. Like this is a real opportunity, I think, to be nationalistic, um, to support your community, to wear something that's beautiful. Um, I find it all incredibly inspiring. And you made a point earlier too about getting the movement to to kind of accelerate one of the ways to do that is to be out in the mainstream and to win awards and so there's something very exciting brewing in canada in toronto um next month do you want to should we talk about that a little bit 
Oh, that would be lovely, yes. So Toronto had a little blip. Um, we had a little change in ownership for our Toronto Fashion Week, and last season we did not have a Fashion Week, but now it's been resurrected. Um, so not only do we have a Fashion Week, but you're actually going to do Runway. Yes. Uh, so last year, like you said, the funding was pulled, and it was interesting because it really brought together the Canadian uh, fashion industry here in Toronto in a way that I myself have not yet witnessed, and it was just it was really phenomenal to see the energy and the passion behind it. All of these people coming together and saying, okay, well, um, now what? And what do we want? And how can we get it done? And so the result of that, um, Toronto Women's Fashion Week, which is going to be March 9th to 12th, is, is really an exciting um, event that's being put on by a Canadian organization for Canadian designers. Uh, so... It's a it's a really exciting way to see the interconnectedness of the fashion industry. And yes, we are absolutely a part of the relaunch of Toronto, Toronto Women's Fashion Week. Um, our show is going to be March 12th, Sunday at 7 p.m. Um, come one, come all. <laughs> but um, it's just going to be a really exciting um, in reintroduction that's going to be bringing together actually a lot of designers that haven't yet been on a runway, um, myself included. This is, will be our first seasonal runway presentation. That's amazing. And I love actually, it's it, it's almost kind of what, um, because the CFDA last year um, um, contracted Boston Consulting Group to do an assessment of, of Fashion Week for New York. Mm. And, and one of the kind of takeaways or one of the ideas was that maybe it needed to be broke in order to be rebuilt. And so I love this idea that Toronto Fashion Week is not only being rebuilt, but with local energy, but sustainability is actually being woven through the program. So Eco Sessions is going to be part of Toronto Fashion Week. So anybody who um, knows me knows that I have this event series, this global event series called Eco Sessions. So we're going to actually have a conversation about sustainable fashion on the opening night of Fashion Week. And I can't tell you how exciting that is. Um, <laughs> me too, because you're going to be part of the conversation. Community. Oh, pardon? I said I'm me too, because you're going to be on that panel. Oh, yes. No, it's, it's very wonderful. Um, a lot of the sustainable community um, oftentimes doesn't quite know how to connect with the runway fashion crowd, and, and the connection hasn't been made too many times. Um, so this, this real lean to inclusion to address these topics in the in the higher uh, runway fashion sector is is so exciting because you see people who are being brought to the table and into the conversation who perhaps felt that they had a smaller voice, whereas now um, the topic is sustainability. If we want to keep doing this, we have to think about you know the systems going forward and how we will you know use our resources now in a way that they'll still be available to those who come after us, and so it's. It really is very exciting for me, and yes, to be a part of the Eco Sessions panel, um, an organization that has just been really bringing awareness to the forefront. Thank you. Um, it's it's quite an honor. And it's very exciting. I'm just I'm thrilled that we're going to get to have this conversation on such a big stage. So let's talk about seasonality. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about you and runway, and like let's dive into the fashion because you mentioned earlier this is going to be an opportunity for you to include not um, upper Canada. Canada wood, upper Canada fiber shed sourced fibers. You're actually going to bring in some cottons from California. And I had heard some upcycled um, denim as well. 
Yes. Uh, well, like I said earlier, the one thing that Upper Canada Fiber Shed just doesn't have in our region is cotton. We really um, come up short on certain plant fibers. Um, however, uh, garment waste, we all produce that. Um, about, I believe it's 81 pounds annually per person. And when you think about the amount of greenhouse gases um, that that puts into the air in landfill, it's remarkable. So it's it's very exciting that what we've pulled from the community is actually um, a good amount of, of denim um, because there isn't too much you can do with denim once it's worn beyond wear. Um, and it's one of the garments that we wear every day so often. And uh, so that's very exciting that we're going to be talking about upcycling, bringing a regenerative fabric um, into the runway. And it's oh, it's stunning. It's really beautiful. Deborah Livingston Love, Upper Canada Weaving, has really outdone herself with that yardage. Um, and as well... Oh, so it's woven locally? Woven Sally Fox's color organic yarns um, here in Toronto, and the the fabric is just, it's a really beautiful telling of what the landscape is that Sally Fox has been able to cultivate. I know. I, I kind of, because we're running out of time, I feel um, I feel conflicted because um, we haven't really talked about Sally Fox yet. Um, she hasn't been a guest yeah. yet, but she's such an icon in this movement. Um, but So I'm just going to let people Google her until, until a further time because I just want to talk about your runway show one more time. So is it going to be live streamed? What, what are the mechanics for how Toronto Women's Fashion Week is going to work? Is it paid ticketing? Is it invite only? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the beautiful thing about Toronto Women's Fashion Week is it's open to the public as well as the industry. Tickets can be purchased online at www.tw-fw.com. And it's very accessible, um, which as a designer who is all about bringing uh, people who have not yet been included in the fashion industry conversation to the, to the party, that's very exciting. That's amazing. And I just want to, because I think um, a lot of times when I have people guess on, it's it's kind of a love fest and I don't really get into anything too controversial, but I feel like you're the, the first person I can ask a tough question to. And so I want to sure. know what's more important, the material or the maker? Mm, that's a good question. Um, and we, <laughs> we haven't yet had to choose. Um, <laughs> however, uh, we are founded on fiber on material because no one's talking about it. Um, there, there, isn't, there aren't collections that I yet know of that can trace their garments back to um, an independent farm and really support the farmer and the work that they are doing. Um, and that, that will continue to truly be our pillar. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for calling in. Um, I know you're probably super busy getting ready for your runway show. I really <laughs> appreciate the conversation. I'm so looking forward to our Eco Sessions event, which is on March 9th. And then I'm really looking forward to your seasonal runway show, which is on March the 12th. And then you're also going to take your collection out west? We are. We're going to be showing for the first time in Vancouver's Eco Fashion Week, March 31st, April 1st. Uh, very exciting. That's going to be a wonderful venue to bring our collection over to the, uh, to the West Coast. Amazing. And how can people find out more about you and your collections and, and where to buy them? 
Absolutely. Um, the the most accessible ways to go to our website, um, you know, please take a stop by our supply chain and uh, meet the people behind the garments. But then, yes, we have a shop as well. Um, the the exciting model that we're toying with is the garments that are going down the runway. They're going to be in store soon thereafter. Uh, we really want people to feel connected to their clothing. So um, stay tuned. We'll be posting about where it will be held, what shows will be coming up with it. We have a lot of boutiques um, and buyers who are excited to get this product in their stores and into the hands of the public. That's amazing. And so the website is PeggySueCollections.com or .com. Dot yes. com. Okay, dot so pe- PeggySueCollections.com, and your social is also Peggy Sue Collections. Yes, Peggy Sue Collections, singular. <laughs> oh, okay, perfect. I, mean, I know, there's never, yes. never enough digits. So thank you so much to my guest, Peggy Sue. Thank you to Magnifico Radio Engineer, David Tatashore. Thank you to Metro Jesus for the music, which you can also find on iTunes. Please visit Magnifico.com and sign up for our newsletter, and thank you for listening. If you have any feedback, questions, want to be a sponsor, or recommend a guest, please email me at radio at Magnifico.com. Until next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.